Amen. Take out your Bibles if you wouldn't stand. We're going to just read one verse. It's the last verse at the end of, uh, sorry, it's two verses. Uh, The last two verses of Romans chapter 5. Just going to read verses 20 and 21. This will be the last message out of Romans 5. Next Sunday's Father's Day. And I'm looking forward to that, looking forward to bringing forth the message. There's uh, just some scriptures that Lady V shared with me concerning fathers that I think will be outstanding to, to share next, next week on fatherhood, biblical manhood. I think it'll be, be great. Uh, so Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigns in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can you say amen? Man, you may be seated. Now, I, uh, when I started this series, I think this is the 20th lesson or so, I think I shared at the beginning that there was three passages Uh, in Romans that was a little challenging. One was in chapter 2, which we've dealt with. The other ones are in the mix of Romans 9, 10, and 11 uh, that are are just kind of tough to to wrap your head around. And uh, the other one, though, is this one here. Uh, We're we're actually going to be teaching from verse 12 down through 2021, and, and my title is Team Adam or Team Jesus. But the, the, um, what, it's, it's not so much, uh, um, I would say, hard to compre- comprehend, per se, this section of Scripture. More so, it's, it's the difficulty of getting your mind around the logic of it and what seems a bit unfair about what's taking place with us uh, because of Adam. There's going to be th- uh, three things also that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address out of this section. One... Uh, is original sin. It, you might have heard that term, original sin, and, you know, is it, what is it and is it fair? I'm also going to talk about what I believe the Scripture teaches about uh, infants or children who, who, who pass away mentally handicapped, uh, what happens to them when they, when they pass, and also uh, people who've never heard, even adults who've never heard uh, the gospel. So I'm, I'm going to say it's, it's dense, like it's, you know, again, it's verse 12 through 21 that we'll be dealing with. So it's not like a whole lot of scripture, but it's, it's pretty packed with some pretty heavy uh, doctrinal stuff. But I, I'm never concerned about teaching heavy doctrine at CTC, never concerned, because you, you know how to hear the word, you know how to understand the word, you know how to embrace the word. Uh, you're a good church to teach, easy church to teach. Uh, the number of you that was here for VBS doing the adult classes, and again, the, each of those, I go into pretty, kind of take some deep dives uh, into doctrinal stuff. I'm always blessed uh, when people gather and want to hear and want to, uh, want, want to learn. So, so I'm, 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 always, I'm like, always excited I, I, I don't want to be the preacher that knows there's some real depth of Scripture but afraid to teach it to the congregation because they won't understand. People ain't dumb. I'm serious. G- give people more credit than that. Give people more credit than that. People, people know how to think. 
Uh, people have the Spirit of God. You got the Spirit of God. He will help you understand and apply things. So my job is to study it and teach it. Your job is to hear it, embrace it, and just shout me down and say amen. Amen? And so that's, that's where we're, uh, we're, we're, we're headed. The other thing that I know and have learned, and I think you probably got some of this out of the last uh, teaching out of Romans 5, is that, is that you know, they're, they're, the practicality of life is also connected to some deep doctrinal stuff. How we live out life is based on some deep meanings of what Christ is saying to us. Now, so what we're going to learn here in, in this particular section is the story of two Adams. Two Adams. The first Adam being Adam who was our forefather for all of mankind. That's why we know that there's only one human race. There's not races of people, right? There's different ethnicities of people, and there may be different skin colors of people, but we're all one race, which is another reason why racism doesn't make sense, because we're all one race. Y'all acting like I already took you to the deep end of the pool. I'm just on the surface, and and just follow the bubbles. I'm going down. I'm going down, but I'm bringing you, I'm going to bring you back up. We all agree there's only one race of people, don't we? Amen. All right. And so, so we all come from, uh, from Adam, who really just messed things up. I mean, he really did. But then there's the second Adam, who's Christ Jesus. Now, I, I, I will honestly and openly admit I'm not a Star Wars fan, right? I don't go to comic cons, don't dress up. Uh, not one of those guys when one of those movies come out that you love, you dress up and you sit in front of the big screen. I'm not one of those. But I do know a little bit about Star Wars. Actually, the first three that was released, I did watch those three, which are actually episodes, as you know, four, five, and six, because then they released uh, what was truly to be episode one, two, and three. But, you know, four, five, and six is really the tale of two Skywalkers, You have the first Skywalker, Anakin, who gave in to all temptation, embraced all of that, went to the dark side, became what we know as Dark dark Vader, went to the dark side, and he brought death, he brought destruction, he brought chaos into the entire galaxy. But then there's the second Skywalker, who was Luke, had all the same temptations as the first one. But he resisted, he maintained, maintained, he stayed faithful and obedient to the Jedi way. And because of that, he was able to reverse all of that chaos and death and destruction and even eventually redeem the first Skywalker, Anakin. George Lucas, what made me look into this was I read a quote about, that George Lucas said, the central theme of episodes four through six was the redemption of Anakin the first Skywalker by Luke the second. And that's very similar to what we see here. Very similar to what we see here in Romans chapter 5, 12 through 21. The redemption of the first Adam by the second Adam, Christ. And here's the basic idea. Adam was the first human created, as, as you well know, and chose to defy God. He chose to go against God's authority. He just absolutely rejected the clear command that God gave him to not eat from 
not even to touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But he did. The second Adam comes along and redeems what the first Adam did. And all of us is in that story. That's, that's the issue here. Personally, every one of us are in view. Every one of us is part of that story. We are part of the story in history, personally, of what Adam has done. Because the scripture informs us that Adam is the head of all sinners. He's the head of all sinners. The two most influential men on the earth is Adam and Jesus Christ. Two most influential men. Because what each of them did affects all of us. Adam's sin affects us all. Christ's redemption affects us all. All of us are in Adam because we're born in him. We're part of his heritage. We're part of his prodigy. We're all born in Adam. But we don't have to stay in Adam. Christ has overturned all the effects of Adam. A a, a verse that kind of summarizes this passage that we're dealing with in in Romans 12 through 21 is actually in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. It kind of says it all in one statement. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. There, there's, there it is right there. I mean, that really spills out the picture. Everyone dies in Adam and because of Adam, but everyone can be saved by Christ and have new life. And so verses 12 through 14, I just want to lay out the case, and this is probably the bulk of the message, honestly, is lay out the case here. It says here again, I'll read it again in the New, uh, I'll read it in the new Living. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Catch that. All of us sin because we are in the nature of, of Adam. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. And I think you understand what he's saying. The law was not yet given. The law didn't come along till Moses uh, introduced us to the law. But people died even before then, even before they had the law. Why did they die? Because death came because of Adam's sin. Whether they had the knowledge of sin or not, they still died because death came because of Adam's sin. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did, now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. And so, we talked uh, the last couple of weeks out of the earlier part of, of Romans 5 and talked about all the things that Christ wants to give us or Christ has now provided, peace and access and grace and justification and, and hope and even the ability to go through trials and, and suffering. All of that comes, all of that we're able to do because of Christ's love being poured out into us and, uh, and, and because of his Holy Spirit being in us. Adam introduces sin and death, and so that restricts people from receiving everything that Christ wanted us to have. So it introduces this whole idea of what's called original sin, the doctrine of original sin. I'm not going to go into all the exhaustive meaning or labor over all the meaning of it, but the bottom line is when Adam chose to disobey God, it was the beginning of the fall for all men. 
when Adam chose to disobey. It, this was just not about a piece of fruit. It wasn't just about that. It was a revolution of idolatry that began. The moment Adam made that decision to do what he did, he absolutely said, I'm going to worship me instead of God. It was the beginning of a revolution of idolatry. The first step of disobedience was basically, I, I like the way D.A. Carson said it, he said it was de-godding God. No longer was God's word the rule and the authority of our life, but what we desired becomes the rule and authority of our life. And without making idolatry just about a house or about a car or about money, just keep idolatry simple and make it about you. Just keep idolatry simple. Idolatry is when I do what I want, get what I want, go after what I want, satisfy myself rather than having a full surrender to worshiping and surrendering to the Almighty God. Y'all doing all right? We're only at about six feet, folks. We're going to 12. Stay with me. We're going to the deep end of the pool. That's the real problem here. The real problem when Adam sinned, he caused us this conflict. There's a conflict now with us and God. And even though we were not physically there when Adam did this, all of us have ratified that choice. We've all ratified that choice because we all have made sinful choices. We ratified it. Wasn't there physically, but we ratified it. All of us now are sinful in Adam. And God, God looks at Adam as our representative. And then second thing about that is we, we ratify the choice that Adam has made by continuing to be the sinful people that we are. But the effects of this is, is I mean, it's just absolutely significant. It's, it's not an insignificant thing. Death now comes upon all of us. Remember, when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, there was no intention for them to be people that come to death, but to live in God for all eternity. As a matter of fact, when they sinned, because of the conditions in the garden and because of the, tr the, the, the effect of eating from that uh, tree of knowledge and good and evil, you might remember reading in Genesis chapter 3 that the Lord put an angel there to keep them, when he ran them out of the garden, to keep them out of the garden. Why? Because if they'd have went back in there and ate that fruit in that sinful condition, that sinful condition would affect them and us for all eternity. So he kept them out of that garden, allowing an opportunity for the second man, Adam, to redeem us all. Adam was born to, to rule, but he ended up surrendering that rule to a desire for his own flesh and ended up leading us all into alienation and death, even for his own family, obviously. So we're, so we're all separated from God. His desire is to bring us back into relationship, bring us back into friendship, bring us back into community, back into love and back into life. In the meantime, though, every disease that is on this earth is because of Adam's sin. Every natural disaster is because of Adam's sin. Every painful struggle that somebody has with cancer is because of Adam's sin. Every child born with a birth defect is because of Adam's sin. Every divorce, every rape, every war, every case of abuse 
even hell itself is because of Adam's sin. When I let that sink in, I thought, man, the first thing I do when I get to heaven is kick Adam's butt. Can I say butt? B-U-T-T. No, I mean, but yeah, tail. That's it. Kick Adam's tail. Because of all the effects upon us because of what he has done. And sometimes people may struggle with the logic with this. You, you, you hear people say all the time, why does God, why, if, why does he allow suffering and disease on the planet? That was never God's intention. It occurred because of Adam's disobedience and idolatry that's affected us all. Original sin, as much as people may struggle with the whole idea that all of us are suffering because of Adam's sin, it, it's the one that's honestly, to me, it's the most verifiable. You, you can see original sin from birth with children. You can see it with children from, uh, from birth. Every kid that comes out of the womb reminds me of the seagulls in Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. Every child that comes out of the womb there's that self-centeredness. I, I don't know, not one of my children, when they were 18 months old, come to me and say, hey, Dad, I know you and Mom have really had a rough week with me. Why don't you just go put me to bed and y'all just go do some me time? I don't know one 18-month-old that said that. I know I've been hard on you, but just go and relax. Just go and enjoy your time. That's not what's in us. It's not what's in children. I can assure you, I didn't have to send no kids, none of my Jones kids, to sin camp. Didn't have to send them to selfishness camp. They was born with that mess. Got it from their mother. But the thing is, uh, but it's inherited. One, one uh, child psychologist, he said this, this, his name is Burton White. You I've, he's been on, t you've probably heard stuff from him if you've engaged in any and some of those talking heads. But he, he made this statement. He a, does a whole lot of research on child development. He said this, from 15 to 16 months on, as his self-awareness becomes more substantial, something in his nature we don't fully understand will lead him to deliberately try each forbidden activity, specifically to see what will be allowed and what won't. I mean, and you can just picture a child when you tell them don't do something, and they're looking at you while they're reaching to do it. Just something in their nature, right? And he says, in other words, he will begin to systematically challenge the authority of the adult he lives with. Resistance to simple requests becomes very common at this time. And if there's more than one child around, I like what he said this, this can be a very low point in the parenting experience. Low point? When a parent is ready to scratch their eyeballs out, he calls it a low point. And, and, and this whole idea about we don't know what's it, we don't fully understand what's in their nature, yes, we do. Because it's right here in the Scripture. It's right here in the scripture. It's that Adamic nature that every one of us are born in. It's that spirit of Adam. And so that's the case. That's 
That's the, the ground of what Paul is going to deal with regarding us. Now, just for a moment, kind of as a parenthesis, uh, verse 13 and 14 we didn't read, but I want to I want to read it for you, and I don't think it'll be on the screen. It says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. It's it's a statement to me that speaks to those difficult cases or where people may have difficult cases. Adam indeed disobeyed a direct law from God. But not everybody after Adam, up until the time of Moses, had that direct law. And the scripture says here, even though sin was in the world, and even though death was in the world, that sin cannot be counted against those who had not heard the law. And so when I read that phrase, not charged to a person's account where there is no law, it brings me right to the face of the issue with babies and people that are mentally handicapped. Those who, who, who don't know the law or don't understand the law, not able to comprehend the law, even though the law of God now has been given, but they're not in a position to understand it or comprehend it, then they can't be held accountable for it. They can't be held accountable for what they don't know and what they don't understand. As a matter of fact, in Romans 1.18, remember this, remember the scripture says that God is bringing wrath against those who knowingly suppress the truth. But if they don't know to suppress, they don't know they're suppressing the truth. They don't know that they're resisting the laws of God, then they can't be held responsible for that. They can't be held responsible for an unrighteousness that they're not aware of. Remember in John chapter 9, verse 41, this was after the guy that was uh, born blind, Jesus opened his eyes, and the Pharisees started arguing with him, which is a great sermon and a great message, and they claimed to be the light of Israel. Remember what Jesus said to them. Well, they asked him, Jesus, so you're calling us sinners. And this is what he said. If you were blind, you would not have any guilt. It is because you say you can see that you're guilty. So Jesus was saying to them, if, if, if you had no way of understanding your sin, then you wouldn't be responsible. But since you do have a way of understanding your sin, that's where you become accountable. There's one more proof text of this for me, and that's Deuteronomy 139. When all of Israel had sinned, when the Lord was trying to get them to the promised land, and he said it's going to be a punishment for all of them. But the scripture says that God allowed the children to go in because he said this, they don't know good from evil. So they can't be held accountable for what they don't know. See the same thing when Jonah was preaching to the people of Nineveh, and Jonah was so upset that God didn't destroy them from being disobedient. And the scripture says, the Lord said to Jonah, there's 120,000 people here who don't know their right hand from their left. How can I hold them accountable for their sin? And so when I read those passages and, 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 and understand what the Lord is saying, I absolutely have no doubt that infants... Children, mentally handicapped, are not held guilty for their sin because they're not able to be accountable for what they don't know, and they're absolutely covered by the blood of Jesus and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every child that's been, that died in early ages, you'll see that child again. Every abortion that's been committed, 
that child, I believe, covered by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what about those who haven't heard? Because we're still trying to get the gospel to every people group. Not every people group has heard the gospel. People have come and gone and not heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might remember one of the toughest passages I told you that we dealt with was in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And remember there it says in that passage in verses 14 and 15 that God has written the law on the hearts of those who are able to comprehend. And so even though they may never have heard the Bible, They know the law of God in regard to him based on what they know that's been in their hearts. And if they reject that, then there's a righteous judgment for them in the rejection of God. So every adult that hasn't heard the gospel, it doesn't mean automatically that they're going to go to heaven. They still have a responsibility to the law of God that has been written in their hearts that they are responsible for. But every child, every mentally handicapped, everyone, or mentally challenged that cannot comprehend or respond to the law of God, we believe God's grace covers them. Are you all right with that? Can you give me an amen so I can move on? So with that parenthesis, I want to go now to the contrast. The case against us is legit. The grace of God for those who don't know, but absolute judgment for those of us who do know. But here's the good news in this, because even though Adam is our representative, Christ has now become the one who now is able to redeem us from that. And when you read the scriptures, sometimes you think it's parallel. Adam caused this, Christ caused this. Adam caused this, Christ is able to do this. It looks similar, like it's just the reversal, but it's, it's not even equal which is great news. It's not even equal. So for example, in verse number 15, it lets us know that the gift of Jesus is even greater than the trespass of Adam. The gift of Jesus, verse 15 says, but there is a difference between Adam's sin and God's greatest gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. The grace of God and the gift of God is greater than Adam's trespass. The the second one is in verse 16. The justification that comes by Jesus is greater than the judgment or the condemnation that comes because of Adam. That's in verse 16. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we were guilty of many sins. It overcomes it. It overcomes it. It doesn't just equate to it. The third thing is the reign and life of Christ is greater than the reign of death in Adam. Verses 17 and 18 says this, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who received it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. It's even greater. Can you say amen? And here's this fourth point out of verse 19. Christ's obedience accomplished way more 
than Adam's disobedience. Verse number 19, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, one other person, that's Christ Jesus, many will be made righteous. And for those that say it's unfair that because of Adam's sin, we're all in condemnation, then you would also say then it's unfair that for Christ's righteousness that we're all saved. So I'm going to take the fact, I'll deal with the unfairness of Adam because I get the greater gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything Christ did to counter Adam was so much better. So much better. And that brings me to my conclusion. And team, you can, uh, you can come. I want to I just hit a couple of, couple of things because here's the bottom line on this. Grace wins. That's the real bottom line. From Genesis to Revelation of this Bible, you find this message. Grace wins. Verse 20 says this, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. We need to see that. We need to know that. We need to acknowledge, we need to acknowledge that. We need to know that we're sinful. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became much more abundant. We don't appreciate the amazing grace of God. Because if you don't recognize your sinfulness, if you don't recognize your deeds, if you don't recognize your idolatry, honestly, when you're singing amazing grace, it's not so amazing to you until you absolutely recognize and identify, I need all of that amazing, marvelous, wonderful grace of God to save my soul. 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 14 says this, even though I was once a blasphemer, this is Paul, because the opposite effect can happen. On the one hand, I think we can sometimes fall short on how sinful we really are because of Adam. But I also know that people can fall on the other side and think because they are so sinful and so awful that there is nothing that can be done for them. But listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And, and there's the great excuse for all of us. There's the great excuse. Is many of us done the things we did because that was just natural for us. It wasn't like we woke up one day and decided, you know, I'm just going to be a bad person. It was just natural for us to do sinful things. We did it out of ignorance. We did it out of unbelief. It was a not, we weren't acknowledging God and, and acted as if there wasn't even a God that needed to be responded to. And so all of the things that many of us have done and all of us have done, now I'm, I'm certainly not making any excuses for me. There was some stuff I did. I knew exactly what I was doing. But, but you, you get the point. Out of, out of ignorance and unbelief and not acknowledging God, Paul says, I was in the same way. I was a blasphemer. I was persecuted. I was violent. But the grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus is over that mess all the time. He's the one that gives us victory. He's the one that gives us triumph. And, and so here's the issue, and this is where Paul is headed. There's, there's two teams. 
Two lines here, two family lines. The family line of Adam and the family line of Jesus. Now, just so you know, that's still the way it is. Either you're in the line of Adam or you're in the line of Jesus. Adam is still the father of all who remain in their sinful state. And Jesus is still the savior of those who are rescued and redeemed. Two families though. Everybody has to make a choice on which team they're going to be on. If you, if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saying that you're going to stay in Team Adam. Team Adam leads to condemnation. Team Adam leads to destruction. Team Adam leads to death. Or you can be on Team Jesus. Submit to him. Have eternal life. He's already provided everything necessary for our salvation. He's already provided it for the whole human race. We all have a sin problem, but thank God we have a Christ who redeems us. The second Adam has come to take us out of that condition and out of that situation. He died for all of us. We get into the first team, Team Adam, by just being born naturally. We get into Team Jesus by being born again giving our life and surrendering our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody stand if you would. Going to pray over you. The prayer team will be here as always. We like to have people available to pray for you. Never know what your prayer need may be. You're very, very welcome to come and let them to pray with you. Maybe there's a decision you got to make and you want somebody to come alongside you something you need to work through on the personal level maybe something in your heart that's overwhelming you and something that's heavy maybe something you need to work through you know, on a sinful level personal level we're just wanting to be firm more firm in your faith maybe you need to be healed prayer for healing baptism of the Holy Spirit prayer for that maybe you've given your life to Christ and want to be baptized they can help you get to the next step so that's why they're here and that's why we make it available. But the choice of where you're going to land team-wise, you can make that right where you are. You can stay right there in Team Adam or you can become part of Team Jesus. And if you are part of Team Jesus, you've got so many reasons to give God glory, honor, and praise. We talked about it last week about having a whole, an, an, an attitude of rejoicing because of what Christ has done. And I'm telling you, I'm a big believer that it all to me boils down to salvation. Can I just tell you, everything else in my life is just drama. The only thing that matters when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, he ain't gonna ask me how I made a decision to buy the vehicle that I bought. He ain't gonna ask me how many people was attending CTC. He not gonna ask me how many people came to the Lord. He not even gonna ask me why did I commit that sin. It comes down to one thing. Did I trust Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life? Everything else is just drama till we get there. Folks, I'm telling you, it's, it's saving us when he didn't have to. It's so worthy of celebrating and rejoicing. So if you need Jesus, I'm telling you, today's a great day for you to receive the Lord. We're going to go into a song of worship. The altars will be open. Father, I want to thank you 
for this great and glorious opportunity to be in your house with your people, worshiping and magnifying your holy name. Father, be with us. Be with us, Lord God, as we live this thing out loud. Live this thing out loud. So grateful, so excited, so full of joy because of what you've done. We're so glad, Lord, that we're on Team Jesus and not no longer in Team Adam. And Father, it's my prayer that those that are here that are being convinced of this, maybe they're already on Team Jesus, but still living like they're in Team Adam. Do a work. Do a work, Lord God, that they may align up with you. Whatever needs that are be in this house, Lord, we pray. As the people of God pray for them, as the team prays with them, that you would meet them right there in their place. Right there, that place, Lord God, where they need you to come into their life, come into their heart, give them help, give them strength, overwhelm them with your spirit and be glorified. It's in Christ's name that we pray, Lord, as we go from here to various places, I pray that you would watch over us and keep us. May you turn your face to us. May you shine upon us. May you be gracious to us and give us peace. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Let's worship the Lord. Altars are open.